Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Guaranteed Rate Field in Chicago. It's the Cleveland Indians to the Chicago White Sox nothing. That's right, your first place Cleveland Indians now with a record of six and four. I'm Davey Barris, a lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And if you were watching that game last night, you better be a fan of pitching because that game was all about pitching. We went into extra innings. We went into the 10th inning, still tied at 0-0. And we knew it was going to be like that when we saw the pitching matchup. It was Shane Bieber against Lucas Giolito, the Cy Young winner of the 2020 season versus one of the runners-up for the Cy Young. Well, he was 7th in AL Cy Young voting last year, but still kind of a runner-up. One of the best pitchers in the American League last year. So yeah, we got the aces of both the White Sox and the Indians squaring off. And did it disappoint? I mean, at all? I think through five innings, I think their lines were identical through five innings. They both had two hits, six strikeouts. Now, Giolito did get his pitch count up higher than Bieber. He he got into a little bit of trouble. He was after seven innings, he was already at 107 pitches and could not go any further. However, Evan Marshall and Liam Hendricks come in from the bullpen to pitch the eighth and the ninth, respectively. And if you add their stats to what Giolito did, it's almost it's almost identical. It's almost identical to the performance Bieber gave in his nine innings uh, at 113 pitches. And uh, so Bieber's final line, nine innings pitched, three hits, one walk, no runs, 11 strikeouts. Uh, Giolito went seven innings pitched, three hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts. But Evan Marshall and Liam Hendricks both have clean innings, adding three strikeouts to the total, which gives the White Sox pitchers nine innings pitched, three hits, no runs, two walks, and 11 strikeouts. So... Uh, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible that both pitching staffs just went out there and it was it was literally anything you can do, I can do better. It was literally that for the whole game. And sometimes it's hard to read Bieber and exactly uh, what he's thinking. It's hard to read him at the beginning of an inning. It's easy to read him after an inning because he was having fun. He was all smiles yesterday. In fact, I think if you follow Pitching Ninja, you know, on social media and YouTube and all that stuff, I think he had a clip. They, they put one of those slow-mo clips out uh, of Bieber striking someone out. It, was, it wasn't from yesterday, but he's actually smiling before the ball even gets to the plate. Like, he knew it was a good pitch before the ball even gets to the plate. That's how locked in Bieber right is. So, Bieber is right now. So the Indians do go on in extra innings. We get the advantage in the 10th inning being the I feel like it's an advantage. I feel like it's an advantage for the away team because they get to set the table, right? They get to, uh, I guess it's an advantage if you can score first, right? Because now you've put the pressure on. Now you've set an expectation that they have to match, right? And it's a theory in any game, right? Do you want the ball first? Do you want the ball second? Uh, do you want to go first? Do you want to go second? In anything, it's 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 that kind of strategy. And in this situation, it works out for the Indians because they get to put across two runs. Not only do they get that runner home from second, remember in extra innings, we start with that runner on second now. Uh, 
to do this, to literally do this. Otherwise, this game may have gone all night with how bad both offenses were. Uh, so this is literally the point of the extra inning rule. It's to just get, just to end the game. And uh, we put two across in the top, and the pressure is all on the White Sox then to try to match that. They don't just they can't just play for the get that run home from second. They now have to think, how am I going to get two runs out of this inning? So I do think if the away team can get that runner home, it does give them a huge advantage in extra innings. Plus, a home team, once you get in extra innings, there's no more safe situations. So what are you saving your closer for? You just have to put them out there and hope that your offense can come through. Whereas the away team can hang on to their closer. Last night it was Karen check for us because I think Classe had pitched at least two or three days in a row. So I doubt Classe was even eligible to come into that game last night. I did not hear if that was announced before the game. So for us it was Karen check. And we could have sat on him. We could have sat on Karinchek until we got a lead and then brought him in for a save situation, which is what happened. He gets the save in the 10th inning. So uh, let's get into the storylines of this game. And obviously, Bieber versus Giolito, right? It's the curveball versus the changeup. And Bieber did not disappoint us. He he truly is Cy Bieber. Um Looking at some of the player breakdowns here for pitchers, he uh, he was unbelievable. He got 20 whiffs total in the game. Uh, Giolito only had 13. Unbelievable. 20 swings and misses uh, in this game for Shane Bieber. Not to mention all the called strikes, which gives him a total CSW, right? Called strikes and whiffs of 41%. Four, that is elite. I mean, league average right now is around 30, I think. Uh, 41%. Giolito's was at 32%. So good, but not great. Now, Giolito's best pitch is obviously his changeup, right? His changeup is just filthy. 43% CSW on his changeup. He did get, he only got six whiffs on the changeup, but did get 12 called strikes on that changeup. Uh, match that against Shane Bieber's curveball, his knuckle curve, which he threw 46 times yesterday. He threw it more than his fastball. He threw 46 knuckle curves. He threw 39 fastballs, 25 sliders, and three changeups. His CSW on his curve was at 48%. Almost half the time, they were either whiffing or watching it drop in for a strike. That is absolutely incredible by Shane Bieber last night. Um, taking a look at the, uh, the pitch 3d model, this is, this is a different view. We don't look at often, but it's an interesting way of seeing where all these pitches are landing. And he was throwing that curveball for a strike a lot. Yes. There are plenty of curveballs below the plate. Yes. There are plenty of sliders down and away below the plate, but there are a ton within the strike zone, and that was what was so dangerous about him last night. Not only did you have to read curveball, slider, fastball coming out of his hand, you also had to read, is this one of those curveballs that he's dropping in for a strike, or is this one of those curveballs that he's bottoming out and uh, you know throwing in the dirt and trusting Perez to block? So how do you do that as a hitter? Obviously, you don't. That's why the White Sox couldn't touch him last night. Um, same thing with the slider. There are plenty of sliders in the zone. 
The fastball, he works at the edges, and he works the fastball up. And there are a lot of fastballs up and uh, in on the righties, away to the lefties. From the catcher view, which is what the 3D model is, uh, they be up into the left of the zone. So that's how he was mixing his pitches last night. Let's take a look at Giolito and see what Giolito was doing. And my God, that's a lot of curveballs. Or change-ups, sorry. That's a lot of change-ups. And he was doing the same thing. He was putting a lot of change-ups in the strike zone. It seems like he really challenges you with that change-up and says, go ahead, take a swing at it. Go ahead, try to hit it. And uh, there's a lot of in-play outs here, a lot of weak contact. Um, and there's a lot of called strikes and swinging strikes with this changeup. It's it's filthy. The only thing I can read is that the changeup definitely seems to be uh, to the left side of the plate, whereas the fastball seems to be to the right side of the plate. So that might be the only, the only chance a hitter has there. Is a right-handed hitter, if that's coming in on you, chances are it's a changeup. If it's going away from you, chances are it's a fastball, which makes sense, right? You know, it makes it makes sense to kind of mix the pitches like this because then you have to be incredibly patient. You have to really keep your hands back to try to turn on an inside changeup, right? It's a, it's a different swing. And then to try to reach an outside fastball, that's two different swings. That's two different approaches at the plate. So to move that pitch back and forth, left and right, in and out, uh, re- you can't sit with the same kind of approach, the same kind of swing, and hope to catch up to an outside fastball and also stay patient on an inside changeup. And that's why Giolito is so effective. That's why that changeup is so hard to hit. All right. Um, also, I-, I thought it was interesting looking at some of their uh, advanced stats. Now, this is really getting into the weeds. This is really getting into the baseball nerdery. But... Uh, they assign run value to some of these pitches. And just I wanted to see what was more effective, Giolito's changeup or Bieber's curveball. Well, it turns out the curveball is technically more effective uh, than the changeup so far this season. But uh, his fastball, Giolito's fastball, actually has the best negative run value which is what you want as a pitcher. You want negative run value. You want your pitches to be so hard to hit that they create negative run value, um, preventing runs, basically. So his four-seamer is at minus three run value right now. His changeup is at minus one. For Bieber, his uh, curveball and slider are both at minus two run value. His four-seamer and his changeup are at minus one. Uh, The other thing is, what is the expected batting average? So the expected batting average um, for, in fact, you know what? Let's go even further advanced. Let's go to the expected weighted on base percentage. That's a a stat that baseball nerds love, XWOBA, expected weighted on base percentage. It, It probably gives you the best picture of what you can expect from any pitch. And the best one for Bieber is actually his slider. It has an expected on-base percentage of only 207. That is filthy. Uh, His curveball is 256. His fastball is actually 313. Um, So, yeah. So, his best pitches are definitely his breaking balls. For uh, Giolito, his his four-seamer has an expected batting average of 220. 
his changeup has an ex, ex, sorry expected weighted on base percentage. Sorry, I'm getting lost in the weeds here. Expected weighted on base percentage of 220 on his fastball. On his changeup, it's only 202. So yeah, his changeup and uh, actually Bieber slider being the most effective pitch there for him this season are pretty uh, pretty neck and neck when it comes to some of these advanced stats, some of these run value stats and things like that. So I don't know. I thought it was interesting. It was a different way of looking at things to kind of compare Giolito and Bieber and see who's the more dominant pitcher. Uh, if you go to just some of the uh, percentile rankings, it's Bieber right now. His whiff percentage is in the 96th percentile. His chase rate is in the 93rd percentile. His K rate, 94th percentile. Expected weighted on base percentage, 79th percentile. Lucas Giolito uh, does not dominate the strikeouts as much. His whiff percentage is only 74. His chase is only 77. And his strikeout is in the 89th percentile. So he does trail Bieber when it comes to strikeouts. However, his expected weighted on base percentage in the 86th percentile. So he does probably induce more weak contact, um, pitches the contact a little bit more than Bieber does. Bieber is definitely gunning for the strikeout. All right. So that's the huge storyline from the game, right? Bieber versus Giolito. It was everything uh, you could possibly want out of two aces, two aces matching up. Uh, I did want to talk about some matchups, and I thought it was interesting. Bieber comes out and pitches the ninth inning, which this is the deepest we've seen him go into a game. And it was a shame that we couldn't score early enough that he could get the complete game shut out. He still gets the win, though. At least we gave him the win. Could you imagine that performance and not even getting a win out of it? So I wanted to see what he did in the ninth inning because I thought there were some really great battles. He really battled your mean Mercedes to start the start the at-bat. Mercedes fouled off four pitches. Uh, he starts him with a slider, throws the knuckle curve, uh, misses low in the zone. Throws the four-seam fastball in the zone. He fouls it off again. So two foul balls are ready. Tries to get, now he's ahead, right? He's ahead in the count, one and two. He tries to get him to chase the slider. Misses pretty bad with it. He lays off the slider. Tries to throw the slider again, this time in the zone. He fouls it off. He's staying on it. Mercedes is staying in there. Uh, and one of these foul balls, I can't remember which one, he dropped down the line. It almost dropped in for a double. I, they had to review it. That's how close it was. Then, he's okay, he's throwing him two sliders. He goes back to the four-seam fastball, this time up tight in the zone. He still fouls it off. It's very close to the same location as that slider. Then he says enough of this, drops the knuckle curve on him, bottom corner of the zone, and he grounds it to Cesar Hernandez. All right, that was his approach. Mercedes really fought him for a guy who, I mean, the pitching coach and the manager barely wanted to send him out there because of his pitch count. Uh, he really makes him throw a lot of pitches. Adam Eden then. Adam Eden comes up, starts him with the knuckle curve, and uh, it just starts mixing knuckle curve and fastball, knuckle curve and fastball. The first one misses, so he throws it again. It's a called strike bottom of the zone. He throws the four-seam fastball high, too high, misses. Now he's down on the count to one. Comes back, throws another knuckle curve. It was low, but it was a swinging strike. He swung through it. 
Then he tries to throw him the fastball again. Doesn't get it high enough. He's in a 2-2 count here. My guess is he wanted this four-seam fastball at the top of the zone to try to get that strikeout. Instead, he leaves it, I'm telling middle of the plate. Uh, really middle of the plate. And Adam Eden lines it the other way to Eddie Rosario. So, uh, yeah, I think Bieber lost that matchup. He lost that plate appearance uh, against Adam Eden. Luis Robert comes up, and uh, this time he's still mixing. This time he's aggressive with his fastball. He's really aggressive with his fastball against Robert. Throws him a fastball in and tight. He follows it off. Throws him another fastball on the outside corner this time. It's a called strike. Tries to drop the knuckle curve in for strike three, but he fouls it off. Throws him another forcing fastball, but misses too far down and away. Comes back with another forcing fastball on the outer edge of the plate. Clearly the pitch he was trying to execute on pitch four that was too wide. Tries to throw it again for this strikeout, and uh, it's lined out to right field. All right, he gets out of it. You can see what he's doing here. He's he <laughs> he's going to hit him with the heat twice in a row and then try to drop the knuckle curve on him. And uh, Robert's just lucky to foul it off. So then the big at bat now, there's two outs, bottom of the ninth, 0-0 game. And it's Jose Abreu, the MVP versus Shane Bieber, the Cy Young Award winner. And you want to talk about storylines and matchups. This was it right here. This was an awesome at bat. And what does Bieber do after he's been going fastball, curveball to the last few hitters? He throws four sliders in a row to Jose Abreu. Slider, first one's in the dirt. He misses. Second one, he comes back in the zone, actually on the inside edge, and it's a swinging strike. Throws him another slider down and away, really close to the strike zone, another swinging strike. Uh, throws him a fourth slider. This one he buries in the dirt, and Abreu lays off. He's learned his lesson. All right, he's got him 2-2. He throws the four-seam fastball high, right? He finally says, okay, I've shown him the slider four times in a row. I've got him leaning outside. The last, the last two sliders have been down and away. I've got him leaning out. He tries to throw the four-seam fastball by him high. Abreu lays off. He goes, okay, seen the slider, seen the fastball. What's the one pitch he hasn't seen? It's my knuckle curve, the one he won't be ready for. He tries to drop a knuckle curve in. My guess is he's kicking himself about this pitch because he just leaves it high and, a, a high and tight, way not close enough, not close enough for uh, Perez to even be able to frame this pitch. Uh, it's clearly off on the top of the zone, and he walks Abreu. So it's an interesting combination here. I mean, the fact that he attacks Robert with fastballs and then attacks Abreu with sliders. Um, it's really interesting to get inside the head of this pitcher in the ninth inning after he's thrown so he's over 100 pitches at this point, what he's still using to attack hitters with. And then I love this. So he walks Abreu. There's runners on first and second now, and he just goes hard after Johan Moncada. He says, my best pitch is my curveball. And if I'm going down, I'm going down with my curveball. He drops the first one in for a called strike. Second one, he throws inside to the lefty Moncada, follows it off. Third one, he throws away again. These are all in the strike zone. Moncada follows it off. And then he drops one, buries it, drops it in the dirt in front of Perez, swinging strike, strikes him out, and gets out of the inning. I mean... <sighs> That gives you insight into how Shane Bieber and Perez 
approach some of these hitters. Now, maybe they know in their scouting report that Abreu can't handle sliders and Moncada can't handle curveballs and Robert can't handle fastballs. But look at that. Three hitters in a row and three completely different approaches in the ninth inning. Uh, so, yeah, so that is fascinating to me that that is how Bieber attacked each one of these hitters when the game is on the line. All right, and finally, the last storyline is, of course, it's, of course, the 10th inning because what a bizarre 10th inning. You've got the last guy who makes an out has to start at second base, so we get arguably our slowest runner on the team, Fermil Reyes, starting at second base. However, we told you, we talked about this last year, if you remember. Go back to 2020. How many times did it come up that when Fermil Reyes or Carlos Santana, when they need to, when they need to, can find a little gas in the tank when it comes to running on the base paths? Uh, Fermil Reyes can get himself to a base when he needs to. And the inning starts off with Josh Naylor smashing a 97.6 mile per hour line drive back up the middle off the glove of the pitcher. Hang on. Who was pitching that? Uh, Garrett Crochet. He lines it off Crochet's glove and uh, it just, it falls to the right to the third baseline and he can't recover it in time. Everybody's safe. Um, It actually gets called as catcher's interference. It actually gets called as catcher's interference, but they let the runner move up to third. Like, they let the result of the play play out, Um, which was, it was a very bizarre play. No one was quite sure. Even Manning and Underwood weren't sure if Fermil Reyes would have to go back to second or if he could stay on third where he advanced on the play. They let the runner stay in the corner. Yu Chang comes in, pinch hits. He, uh, He flies out, but not deep enough for Fermil Reyes to tag. Roberto Perez then comes up, and there were not many hard-hit balls yesterday. The hardest-hit ball of the game was Jose Ramirez. He hit one 105.3 miles per hour. It was a ground-out to Jose Abreu at first base, who made an unbelievable stop to snag that ball and and, uh, end the inning. So that's the hardest-hit ball of the game. Roberto Perez comes up with runners on first and third, one out, 10th inning, and what does he do? He hits a, a chopper, a dribbler, a weak ground ball that somehow gets deep enough in the hole between short and third that the shortstop can only knock it down and has no play. Everybody's safe. The exit velocity on the game-winning hit was 71.3 miles per hour. That's what's awesome about baseball. You can... <laughs> You can talk to me about exit velocity and expected batting average. Do you know what the expected batting average was on Roberto Perez's game-winning single? 0 0-4-0 was the expected batting average on his game-winning extra-inning single. I should say go-ahead, the eventual game-winning. 71.3 exit velocity. It just was in the right spot. Of course, Ahmed Rosario comes up and then leaves no doubt. He hits a double into the gap. That brings uh, Josh Naylor into score. Roberto Perez goes to third. And that is the that makes the big difference. That two runs is huge in the top of the 10th inning. And I will tell you why in a second. Jordan Luplo strikes out. Cesar Hernandez lines out to end the threat. So we scratch across two. Ahmed Rosario, Roberto Perez, the big heroes for on offense. Ahmed Rosario was pinch hitting 
for uh, Jimenez. It would not surprise me if uh, if Ahmed Rosario is starting in center field today because Gamble and Luplo, that combo was just a disaster in center field leading off today. Gamble was 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Just awful. Absolutely awful. So I would not be surprised if Ahmed Rosario is starting in center field today. Um, then they start with the runner on second, and uh, Karinchek comes in. He gets Nick Williams to strike out. He gets Yasmani Grandal to ground out. And then Jake Lamb hits a deep fly ball to right field. Josh Naylor drifting all the way back to the fence. The ball only goes 345 feet, though, and Naylor's able to take a few steps in on the warning track, make the catch. It looked scarier than it was. It only had an expected batting average of 130. So probably wasn't going to be a home run in any ballpark, but maybe Yankee Stadium, that ridiculous short right field. But Lamb flies out to deep right field to end the game, and that's why that second run is so important. Even if you scratch across that first run, with the runner starting on second base for the home team, a home run is a two-run jump. And if he gives up a home run to Jake Lamb there, that's the difference between a walk-off home run and a game-tying home run. That's why Ahmed Rosario's hit was so important, to get another run across in that inning and make it 2 nothing. So that's your final. 2 nothing on only five hits uh, for the Indians. Only three hits for the White Sox. MVP for the day, obviously Shane Bieber. I mean, just a masterful, masterful performance from Cy Bieber. So he gets the win, and he gets MVP for the day. All right, that is all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. We'll be back tomorrow to cover the White Sox and Indians game three. It's going to be Plesak against who was supposed to be the game one starter, Rodon, pitching for the White Sox. And uh, it's going to be another really, really difficult pitching matchup. It's probably going to be another low-scoring game. Uh, It's going to be like that the whole series. This is two of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball, whether it's starters or bullpen. Uh, Classe is rested, so Classe is probably eligible to pitch again. So uh, if Plesak needs him for a save, he'll be ready to go. So uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be low-scoring, but it's going to be fun. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.